This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I just, I, I'm honestly um, excited about this morning. I'm excited for a couple of different reasons. Um, one, because I believe that this is the, this is the key. This, what I'm about to say this morning, is the key for sustaining revival or killing it. <laughs> you said, that's kind of blunt. Well, it's true. Um, and I'm going to share a little bit of my own observances over the last 25 years and 30 years in church life. And I can honestly say, this is key. I'm going to start with the actual quote we ended with last week. It's the quote by A.T. Pearson. It says this. There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Say united prayer. United prayer. Not just prayer, but united prayer. I believe that, that, that unity and a united prayer, a united focus is so key in establishing the work of God uh, in our midst. And interestingly enough, we talked last week about prayer and the importance of prayer. And, and, we, and obviously we've had a whole month of prayer. And we're going to continue to pray Um, But one of the last prayers of Jesus, before he met his ultimate uh, death on the cross, one of the last ones, not the last one, but one of the last ones, as he was walking into Jerusalem, he had a prayer for his people. And this is what he said, John 17, verses 20 to 23. It says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Interestingly enough, the calling card for people to come to God isn't just His presence, although we are believing for that. But the calling card when it comes to humanity is actually how well we get along. So when we don't get along very well, guess what the world says? Why would I want that? Because that's what I have in my own life. So why would I want to go somewhere or to a church or to a place where they don't get along the same way that I don't get along in my life without God? Right? So that's kind of a basic thought. It's true, though. So what God wants to do is he wants us to have the same heart, the same passion for unity that the Trinity does, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit does. It's such an important thing, and I believe that Jesus revealed the very heartbeat of heaven and the cry of heaven for unity in one of his final prayers. Unity, I love looking up uh, dictionary meanings and word meanings and all of that stuff. So I'm just going to give you the basic meaning of unity. It's the quality or state of being one. Wow, never thought of that. But there's a second definition that I want to focus on because I, I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say a musician per se. I love to sing. I love to play things. And, and there's nothing that gets me going more um, than vocals that are in harmony. It's, just, it's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And so the second dictionary uh, meaning is a condition of harmony, harmony, harmony. I want you to keep this definition in your mind as we talk through the message today, a condition of harmony. How many are longing for harmony in your life right now? Amen? 
How many are longing for that kind of peace in your life right now? I tell you right now, the majority of issues in the world today, doesn't matter how much finances people have, how, much, how big of a nest egg they have, what their job is, their career, it doesn't matter. You know what happens that is a consistent pattern with all of humanity? People don't have peace. That's the answer. Jesus is peace. And I believe that God desires this morning to present to you this morning a thought that goes one step even beyond just that concept of peace, but to the condition of harmony, unity, togetherness, oneness. I want you to look just for a second, and you can follow on the screen behind me, the spiritual atmosphere. We talked about this last week. Prayer literally establishes a spiritual atmosphere. Let's look at the spiritual atmosphere, the spiritual climate, right before the day of Pentecost. It says in Acts chapter 114, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The NLT version says united in prayer. There was a unified approach. There was a unified heart. And what happened was God blessed it. He poured out. Amen? How do we know that? Acts chapter 2, which we talked about in the outpouring series, but I want you to catch something here that is something that God's just been downloading me all week. Is uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord. So what happened? From the day that they started in the upper room 10 days prior to the day that Pentecost actually had fully come, so 10 days later, the unity and the oneness or the focus of their life had not changed. And I would argue, I mean, I don't have necessary theological proof for this, but I would argue that 10 days of prayer probably increased that unity. It was probably stronger than from the first moment they started praying. Because they were praying for one another. They were pr- How many know that prayer and community is a powerful thing? We saw it on Wednesday night. Prayer and community is a powerful thing. At one moment, I just sat back and watched as all the people in the church just praying over each other. I'm just going, this is awesome. This is awesome. Why? Because it's community. It's unity. Community. Got it? Community happens because of unity. The moment you're in disunity, you don't have community. It's just what happens. I've seen it so many times. How do you know, Cameron? I could have wrote a book on disunity. Why? Because Satan used me so many times in the first 22 years of my life in this particular issue, I could have wrote a book. You talk about planting seeds of disunity, I was the king. Okay? I Trust me. First 22 years, it was pathetic. But thank the Lord he got a hold of my life. Amen? But I want you to catch something here. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they're all with one accord, and suddenly, and then most of us get excited about the suddenly, and we stop there. All charismatics, get, we stop at the word suddenly. Yeah, 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 suddenly, and then suddenly God can do something. But I want to go a little further. There came a sound from heaven. Huh. There came a sound from heaven. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in perfect unity in heaven. Yes, I know the work of the Holy Spirit's on earth, and yes, He's here, He's everywhere, He's omnipresent, we understood that from a couple weeks ago. But the sound of heaven is drawn out from heaven to earth when we match the heartbeat of heaven with our heart. So then our sound of unity attracts heaven's sound of unity, and then the suddenlies come. What sound are we making from our life? Are we harmonious? Or are we someone that Simon Cowell needs to talk to very soon? Because you should have fired your vocal teacher years ago. Do you know what I'm saying? 
What is the sound that is coming from our lives? Is it the sound of harmony? Is it the sound of unity? Is it the sound of community? Or is it something else? And here's what I've realized in my life. The moment my song or my sound connects to the principle of unity and I live in it, I automatically attract heaven's sound. And now we're no longer in harmony with other humans in community, but our sound and our song are now in partnership with heaven's sound. So we walk in step like ballroom dancing to the most beautiful chorus, the most beautiful song, the most beautiful orchestra in the entire world because now humanity and divinity are singing the same song. I've had people for years come to me, I just don't understand why I don't feel God. And usually the first question I ask is, okay, who, who are you angry at? Who do you want to murder uh, without anyone knowing? <laughs> who do you want to hire the Christian mafia for to take out? Who are you prayer gossiping about? Oh, did I say that out loud? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Shame on me. Who are you struggling with? What often happens is, is the presence is coming but hitting a wall. No open heaven. Because the heart and the mind are not open because we are now dealing with a whole bunch of stuff in our heart that is literally causing the open heaven experience to land right about here and go no further. So, what is your sound this morning? What's your song? What's your melody? Is it lining up with the sound of heaven? Because one accord, unified group of people in alignment to the purpose of God for their lives, invited a sound. That was awesome. I want that kind of sound in every service and in every small group and in every prayer meeting and in every Starbucks connection and in every, wherever you are. Walmart, it seems to be the place I see all of you. Walmart, I want Walmart to be overtaken with Holy Spirit blue vests. And we just bring everyone in Walmart to God. Wouldn't that be amazing if we had a church service in Walmart at Christmas with 1,500 people? I don't know about you, but I have these crazy thoughts that hit me every once in a while. I'm like, why not Walmart? And we could borrow, like, their karaoke machine and see if we can get, like, Bethel in there somehow. And we'll just do a song right in Walmart. They'll probably kick us out, but it's all good. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. I love this. You say, I don't know, I'm struggling with certain things. I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. Here, I, I want you to know Paul's recommendation to us. He says, make every effort, not some effort. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. What is the key to be united in the Spirit? Here's what I've learned many, many years ago. If you know one another according to the flesh or the human side of things, that's where disunity creeps in. But we have to know each other by the Spirit. How many have ever had somebody say something that's hurtful to you? Come on, put up your hand. How many have ever actually taken the time to actually get to know what they're going through and why they fleshed out that way in that moment? Not many of us. Here's what I want you to do. Hear their heart. Yeah, it looked ugly coming out. Trust me, I've had it. I've done it to people and I've had it done to me. Trust me, it's not fun. It's ugly. But get to know their heart. Walk in their shoes. 
Find out where they've been through. Find out what's going on. Find out the stresses that are in their life. That doesn't justify what they've done. But it gives us an opportunity to have compassion and to draw them back into community. You know what the church is famous for? I'm not saying ours, but just the church in general. is famous for doing this. Oh, come to church. Come to church. You come and, well, you hurt me. And I go, yeah, that's going to happen. Because we are humans. I announced on the very first service that we ever did, it was September the 8th, 2008, I stood up there and after making multiple mistakes and, and welcoming everyone that morning to Oshawa Community Church, that was bad. But anyhow, um, God was a sense of humor from heaven. One of the first things I said that morning, and I still feel it as strong today as I did that day, I said, guys, I want to just let you know that if you've come to impact this morning thinking that this is a perfect church, that this is going to be better than all the other churches you've ever been to. I have news for you. This church is imperfect because I'm here. But if you can have grace on me, I would love the opportunity to have grace on you. First Sunday. I feel equally as strong about that statement as I did back then as I do today. Why? Because I believe that a church that's united, John 17, can transform the world. I believe that the presence of God is attracted, the sound of heaven is attracted to the sound of unity on the earth. Amen? All right. So why is this? Actually, I'm going to just read one other uh, verse here. Why it's so important to know each other by the Spirit and not just by the natural flesh or their natural inclinations. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. The reality is, is it's the easy way to go to know one another from a human point of view. It's a whole nother stretch to get to know each other from a spiritual point of view. So I want us to journey together as a church to get to know one another, not just by their natural skills or their talents or their personality, although that's important, but to know one another by the Spirit. What's their heart? What, what can we do to take them to the next level? Amen. I just want to share five quick insights as to why unity is so important biblically and where it's talked about in the Bible and, and some of the things we can learn from that. Number one, it's the spiritual principle that God honors. Genesis chapter 11. But the Lord came down. This is the Tower of Babel or Babel. And he came down to look at the city and tower uh, the people were building. And he said, look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. You have to understand that unity opens the door to the impossible. <laughs> Amen? Second thing is this. It's an effective witness to the world. John 17, 23. We've already read it, but I'm just going to read it again. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What happens here? Unity opens the door to the gospel. How many have ever had a conversation with someone about God and some of their first responses, not necessarily the first, but some of their initial or first responses, well, well, you know, churches are just as messed up as anyone else. How many have ever heard that? Well, I'm going to go there and I'm going to get hurt. I've heard it. As a pastor, I get everything. I've got it all. And my response is simply this. Well, you're right. And they look at me like, because they're expecting me to actually argue them. And I go, no, you're right. 
That happens. Go, so why would I want to come? Because God's there, um, and the moment or the opportunity for your life to be transformed and help solve the problem is off the charts. I've seen many movements in the world through the last 20 years, and I'll tell you, if there's one thing that, that bothers me, just being honest as your pastor this morning, it bothers me that people continuously want to do away with church and find some other avenue and, and allow God to bless that. I've given my life, and here's my life that I'm going to give. I'm going to give my life to make the church the pure and spotless bride that God intended it to be. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that happens. So on my watch, I'm going to do my part. Can I, can I share with you a, a really interesting observation? The problem with churches is not that there's problems. The problem with churches is that we don't handle the problems in a biblical way. That's the problem. So problems happen. The problem that I have is when we don't handle things the right way. Okay? Um, we have to get really comfortable with having awkward conversations with one another. You know, when you said that, that hurt me. That made me feel like, that's okay, do it. Some of you would be coming in a long line up in front of me saying, you know, it really bothers me when you talk about the Leafs so much. <laughs> you know, I hate the Leafs. I go, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I felt the love from that section over there. Second row, third seat on the left. <laughs> okay, Jesus. Woo, yeah. But the point is, is that we have to get to the point where we have the courage to protect unity with everything we've got because of how valuable it is to God. Amen? Okay, that was a good point. Thank you. Uh, three, it is an atmosphere for breakthrough. I love this verse, Philippians 1.27. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. I love that. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you. And both because of God. Unity opens the door to victory in your life and those around you. Number four, it attracts God's blessings. Psalm 133, it says, How wonderful and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. That was Cameron's paraphrase, by the way. Um, Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. The New King James says the Lord commands his blessing when it deals with this concept of unity. So unity opens the door to life. Number five, it brings praise to God. Romans 15, five to seven, it says, may God who gives this patience, encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, um, each with the attitude of Christ Jesus toward the other. I love that. Each with the attitude of Christ towards the other. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, so accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, then God will be glorified. So unity opens the door to God's glory, which is His power, His presence. Unity is like the sound of a large orchestra in perfect harmony. When I met Sandra's family, I have to be honest with you, I I did not like classical music. I definitely don't like classical music. I definitely don't like country music. Please don't take that uh, offensive. I know. Sorry, Ken. Um, It bothers me. Um, I definitely have a a soft spot for the 80s. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. Come on. That was a good decade. It's a good decade. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for Lionel Richie. Dancing on the ceiling. Come on. Mm. I felt a karaoke. That's good songs. Lionel Richie had good songs. That's all I've got to say. Come on, Joe. You got it? That's right. All right. But one of the first things that I was introduced to in Sandra's family is when we were over, when I was overseas, I was in Sweden, I was visiting her family. Sandra and uh, I ended up, we went to a concert hall in Uppsala. We listened to a whole night of just orchestra, classical music. And for the first time in my life, I had a totally different appreciation for that music. And I'm looking at literally 100 and I don't know how many people are up there, 140 people if you probably add up everyone. 140 people playing their own unique role, playing their own sound, but in perfect harmony and unity to the overall sound or the overall song. And I remember thinking to myself, that is incredible. I love to sing. I love vocalists. I love harmonies. I love all those things. And I've often said this. like You can have a soloist that can blow you away with their sound, with their voice. But you put 20 people together, or 5 or 10 or 15, 20, 30, 50 people together, all singing in different part harmonies, and they sing, it makes the hair on the back of your head go up. Because it's absolutely mesmerizing when all of these voices singing unique lines and unique uh, uh, tunes come together in such perfect harmony. Here's a personal insight I want to share with you this morning. I've been around church a long time. I've been around multiple moves of God. I have seen the Holy Spirit poured out in such significant ways multiple times. I have seen it. I've experienced it. I've been in it. I've been in the midst of it. Um, I've read on it. I have read church history and revival history. Uh, Sandra actually shared with the interns this week some kind of insights into revival history. But I have seen it. I've experienced it. I've been the guy on the floor that somebody has to pick up and carry out because I can't get up and walk because I'm overwhelmed by the presence of God. I've had moments that have been so mesmerizing, but can I tell you that there's a common theme to what the enemy does to stop a move of God. Are you ready? I could bore it all down and kind of narrow it down to one thing. It's disunity. Every move of God in the last 80 years that you've got any books on or any writings on, you'll see that somebody or a group of people caused disunity. And it stopped as fast as it came. Because it kills it. It absolutely destroys it. Why? Because now the song of earth is no longer matched to the song of heaven. So God only comes where his sound is attracted. Do you understand? Okay. So I want to share. I kind of just processed through, okay, God, what what happened in the early church? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to just make up stuff. I want to see, what does the Bible say? What did the early church have to deal with? What were the five different components of of disunity that could have happened that, that the apostles actually protected from happening? I saw five of them in the last two weeks that I've just been kind of marinating on, and I wanted to share with them, with you this morning. So, Acts chapter 1, they're in unity in the upper room. Acts chapter 2, the first couple of verses, the Holy Spirit's poured out. There's unity in that room. Things are awesome. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. One version says they're all just drunk. So what's the first thing that will come against a move of God? Is a group of people that will question whether it's actually of God or not. Okay, we good? Happens every time. 
We had a, a move of God in our church at King Street Pentecostal Church in 1997. I'm telling you, it was the most glorious month of my life in that month when it comes to the presence of God. It was so tangible, it was so thick, and then guess what happened? A faction in that group, because of the way that the church was governed and the church governance model, um, there was a group of people that were a lot of them that rose up and fought against the move of God and fired the pastor by November of that year. The whole thing went thud. And then people for the next three years were going, wow, we missed it. And so now you come around those people from King Street, and this is what they say. Oh, remember January of 97? Kumbaya, my Lord. And I keep going, it's time to move past. It's time to move past. Next move of God is coming right now. Come on, you've got to get to that point. But what happened? There was a group that rose up. You look at Brownsville, there was groups that rose up. Toronto Blessing, groups that rose up. Smith and Revival in St. Louis, groups rose up. You look at the moves of God even from Azusa Street to today. Azusa Street, which was the pioneering revival of the Pentecostal charismatic movement. 1906, Azusa Street, Los Angeles, California. And what happened in that first two years? I feel bad for William Seymour because the stuff he had to deal with in the first two years after that move of God was, was insane compared to today. But what happened was is there was groups of people that came up and one version of Acts chapter 2.13 says they mocked it. So here's my response as a church. You don't have to understand it, but don't mock it. Okay? We had some experiences on Wednesday night that were amazing. Off the charts, awesome. We had experiences in this past month that have been awesome. We had an experience at the encounter that we're still trying to figure out. But just receive it. You have to trust us that as leaders, if we see something that is off, that's not good, that's out of order, we're going to correct it. I give you my word. If something's off or out of order, we are going to deal with it. Because what we want is this to be a safe place where people can come and experience the, the presence of God. Amen? Number two, Acts chapter 4. Disunity uses religious people to restrict the move of God. So Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter and John preaching their little guts out, you know, brought a, a lame man in Acts chapter 3, and they saw him get healed, a guy who was lame from birth. I mean, that's a pretty awesome story. I love that. And it says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking at the people, and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. But, verse 17, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. What's interesting about this whole chapter is that right in the middle of this, I didn't read the verse, but right in verse 8, Peter gave a response to the threats of the religious Peter. And Peter's response started by saying this. And Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit responded in such a powerful way that he disarmed their threats. I want you to know this morning that religious people love to attend church just as much as godly, wonderful, amazing people. What do I mean by religious person? They're all about form and fashion. They're all about duty, obligation. They're all about the form of Christianity, but they don't have the heart. The Bible says in one key verse that they, uh, they, they understand it in theory or in practice, but their heart is far from God. Jesus' response to a Pharisee. That they can do things that look godly, 
but their heart is not godly. These are people that want to step up and, and, and literally uh, disconnect us from the presence of God. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 31. I love the response at the end of these threats. Now, Lord, this is Peter speaking. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I love it. In the midst of great threat and persecution, they spoke. The third thing is this. Disunity is birthed in people who feel overlooked. I want you to see Acts chapter 6. It's the same pattern. It goes on. I can tell you story after story after story. This happens. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so think about this. They went from 120 to 3,120 at the end of 24 hours. Okay? That's a good day. But in chapter 4, it talks about 5,000. So we're assuming that if we're going to give it a lot of time here, it's probably about a week. So they went from 120 to 3,120 to 8,120 in a week. Right? What happens when you go from 120 to 8,120 in a week? Some people are going to feel overlooked. Right? Okay. It says, uh, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 apostles or disciples gathered uh, all of the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. You have to understand that when there's a move of God happening, you have to reshuffle and reshift the focus of each different leader and core leader. The reality is, is when there's more people, we have to do less. Because we have to empower others to do the work of the ministry, right? Are we tracking this morning? Okay, good. All right. And it says, um, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. I love this. They actually set up the first deacons, servants that were serving tables. And their qualification for being uh, someone who serves tables is full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. I'm like, man, have we ever lowered the bar, <laughs> right? But his, their bar was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom just to serve tables, right? Wow. But I want you to understand here that Hellenistic Jews were Greek converts that were coming into the church. They didn't know very much, um, but they obviously, for good reason, felt overlooked. So I'm not here to say that these are people that have rejection issues. I'm actually not saying that at all, although that could fit some people. But what I want you to see is that they were legitimately overlooked, but it birthed in something in them. Something in their heart that says, we feel overlooked. And the problem with that is the focus that should be on Jesus now goes to themselves. Now, is it a legitimate issue that we have to correct? Yes, the disciples corrected it. They put a plan into place and they solved it. Great leadership. Awesome. Kudos on them. But the point is, is the moment that you start feeling that, I have to, you, you got to do an evaluation of where you got here how you got here and why it's there and what are you going to do about it. Because what most people do is they live in that place silently for a long time until something blows, right? And what I want you to do is have the courage not to discount what you're feeling, but to have the right conversations with the right people so that we create a sense of unity and forward motion. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Four, disunity loves to find counterfeits. 
Go to any conference, go to any Holy Spirit charismatic conference, and you find a whole pile of counterfeits that love, they love to find people. We will never have a $3 bill, a counterfeit $3 bill because we don't have $3. But we do have a 5 So in other words, you're going to see a counterfeit of what's real. Right? How many know that worship music is very powerful? But you also know that the, the music that the, the enemy has absolutely distorted and made destructive has had a pile of offense, or uh, influence on people. Look at what people are doing all in the name of music. All in the name of artistry. Unhealthy. But Acts chapter 8. Peter and John placed their hands on, on a group of people. They received the Holy Spirit. When Simon, and for those that don't know the story, Simon the sorcerer is his name, saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered more money. Or he offered them money. And said, give me also this ability so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right with God. With every move of God comes counterfeits. With every move of God comes people that want the quick fix but without taking the steps to invite the presence of God. Okay? Happens every time. How do I know? I've seen it so many times I could write a book on it. Uh, it's incredible how many times this happens. Here's what I've realized. There's a lot of people that are attracted to the fame of the move, but they're not attracted to the family. They're attracted to the fame of the movement of God, but they're not attracted to the family. In other words, they want the, the heebie-jeebies, but they don't want the community. But we have to remember, the sound of heaven only connects to the sound of earth when it is in alignment with the sound of heaven. The sound of heaven is unity. The sound of heaven is community. The sound of heaven is family. The sound of heaven is that. So it only connects to the sound of earth that is replicating the sound of heaven. And then we have a connection point. Do you see that this morning? So five, disunity loves to argue theology. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't ask questions about your theology. That's good. But there's a very big difference between asking questions to grow and questioning everything and just going around the entire church and arguing every last thing known to man, blah, 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 especially when you already know how we stand as a church. Right? So, there are some very interesting social issues that are being played in our culture today. I want to let you know very clearly, we love those people. We have compassion for those people. But we will never, ever, 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 ever bend or anything when it comes to the Word of God. Why? Because we believe the Word of God, the truth, will set them free. Not half-truth, not a compassionate truth, but it is a truth that will come to set people free. It's hard for us. Can I be honest? Can I just be brutally honest this morning? This is a tough time, a tough day to live as pastors. Because the theological issues that we have to deal with all the time, it's all the time, guys. It's every day. It's every week of our lives. Is off the charts compared to what it was 30 years ago. 30 years ago, the issues were, well, you know, there wasn't enough strawberry shortcake at the strawberry shortcake social. And I'm like, okay, put two more people in charge of getting more strawberry shortcake. One extra to put aside for the pastor. <laughs> yeah. You know, but today we're dealing with issues of chaos. Issues of confusion. We're dealing with issues around sexuality. We're dealing with issues of sanctity of life issues. We're dealing with issues that are so sensitive and so difficult and so hard. So here's what I'm asking for. 
pray for us. Remember the message from last week? Pray for us. I want you to add us to your list of daily prayers. If you don't already pray for us every day, please do it. Because the stuff that we get coming against us or at us is off the charts some days. But the good thing is, is we have birth, and I believe we've done it well, is a, a church that is so loving and so gracious that that love and that grace, we believe, can disarm the defenses of some of those people so that we can actually have a healthy, respectful conversation. But that does not mean we're going to change our theology in order to invite all of that. We won't do it. Are we good? That's a weak amen. Okay. But I want you to see this. This is one of the core issues that starts to happen when there's a move of God. Theology is questioned. The Bible is questioned. This is questioned. That's questioned. So what happened in Acts chapter 15 is there was a, a bunch of new uh, Gentile converts, so not Hebrew background, not Jewish background converts, that were coming to Christ. But there was this group of Hebrew converts that were basically saying to all these Gentile converts that you have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. He said, yes, I use the word circumcised in church. Yes, you can tweet that. Okay, all right. But literally, they had to come together and say, okay, we have to deal with this because this is not good. Their theology is wrong. Their thinking is wrong. Their practice is wrong. So we have to do it. So what they did is they called together all of the elders, all of the pastors from all the churches in that area. They all got together, the apostles, the elders. They got together. They formed something called the Jerusalem Council, Acts chapter 15. And they literally had a conversation over, okay, what is most important? What are we going to do? And what are we not going to put on these new Christians or these new converts? So they made up their mind. They sent out a list of four things. I'm not going to give that to you. You can look that up in the Bible in Acts 15. But the point was that they had to solve it. Why? Because that could have turned into a mess. And the moment theology becomes a mess, then you've got a whole pile of other issues. I'm saying all these things because I want you to see these are the five most consistent patterns of issues that I have seen in the last 25 years. They always come. So be on alert for them. You're going to get somebody who feels overlooked. You're going to get somebody who's going to argue theology all day long. You're going to get somebody else that is mocking the things that God is doing. You're going to get somebody else that has a religious spirit and will not be open to what the Holy Spirit is doing. I just guarantee you right now, I call them the lifeguards. Have you ever been to this great giant community pool and there's like, like a giant Olympic-sized pool and there's like 500 people uh, in, you know, in the pool, and then there's always the crazy people that are in their Speedos that are jumping off the deep end into the 12 feet deep of water and doing some sort of crazy cannonball. And then there's those other people that kind of have their toes just in the water or sitting on the side because they don't want to get in. Those at times can be the, you know, the people that are struggling with the move of God. And then there's the lifeguards. I call them the religious people. What do they love to do? Blow the whistle and tell everyone to get out. Don't be a lifeguard. And I want to challenge you this morning, don't just be the person sitting on the side, you know, getting a little taste of the, the water and, and, and putting your feet in there. I want you to be the crazy people who are jumping in the deep end with no water wings, <laughs> nothing else, no life jackets, and just let God take you to where he wants you to go. I want to end with a thought, and then we're going to do communion this morning very quickly. I want to end with this incredible verse, Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 33 right in the midst of all of these situations comes this phenomenal verse. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one, of one heart and one soul. 
Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Verse 33, And with great power the apostles gave witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You want a formula for revival? That's it. One heart, one soul, great grace upon them all. Very next verse actually talks about 5,000 people coming to Christ. So I think that was a good formula. Amen? One heart talks about being in sync with one another, in tune with one another, flowing together. I'm going to call it from a musical perspective today, I'm going to call it one tune. How many of you have ever been around somebody in church where you're singing a song with all your heart and the person singing next to you is singing out of tune? Don't put up your hand. <laughs> Had it too many times to, uh, to count, and, and, and it's awesome. And, you know, the only verse that comes to mind is make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You know, that's all the, vo- the verse that comes to mind. But you have to understand this one heart concept. If you can picture it uh, musically, it's talking about having one tune. Or if I can use this for our worship team, this is playing in one key. If you have Sandra playing in the key of C and Ryan over here playing in the key of G and, and Sandy on bass playing in the key of A minor, we got a problem. Unless you guys are capoing everything, but that's a different story altogether. But that's a problem. So one heart is talking about being in one tune. One soul means to be of one mind or to breathe together, literally to inhale and to exhale together. Inhale and exhale together. They know when to change or to charge. They know when to rally. They know when to rest. And it's speaking about one tempo, on time. Inhale, exhale, on time. So the best songs in the world are when you're in tune and you're in tempo. How many know we can tell right away when something's out of tune? Right, guitar players? And when something is out of tempo. If Sandra's playing her keyboard at one tempo, and Joel is playing the drums in another tempo, Sandra's got to adjust, because the drummer's in charge. Come on, drummers! You know what I'm saying? All right. Okay, that was uh, just a shameful plug for drummers. Um, One tune, one tempo. One tune, one tempo. One heart, one soul. Creates a song, a sound, that attracts heaven's sound, that is in one tune and one tempo because they have one heart and one soul. It's attractionary. I want to say very quickly so that no one misunderstands, unity is not uniformity. Okay? I love the diversity of gifts and personalities and talents in this house. Unity is not about uniformity other than uniformity to God's will and to God's word. That's a different story. But when it comes to your own uniqueness, some of us are more unique than others. But God loves a diverse house that can do many things because of its diversity. Because it's diversity in unity, playing one tune, one tempo. It's such a key thing. We each have a sound. But I want to say something to you this morning, not to offend anybody, but I want you to understand the heartbeat of heaven for any organization or for any church in that particular thing. Oftentimes, people come to a church and they say, well, I have a song and I have a sound. And my response is, I love your song and I love your sound, but the song of the house trumps the individual sound of an individual. 
So we have to find our part in the song of the house. Because if not, we've got a whole bunch of sounds, but nothing's in tune and nothing's in tempo. And we're going in the, every, we're, we're canoeing, one person going that way and one person going that way. And you know what we do? I don't think it's sinful, but it's ineffective. The song of heaven trumps the song of the house. But the song of the house trumps the individual song or sound of you. It has to. Because then what happens is, is, well, I only want to do my thing. And my response is, but the house needs this. The house needs all of these things to be taken care of. But some people come to us and say, well, it, 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 it bothers me that you and Sandra are, are like sweeping after, the, after everyone's gone. I'm like, okay, well, we don't mind. It doesn't bother us. Why? Because we also value the fact that, yes, I love to do this. And I love to sing, but you know what? I love to clean this house because this is my house. So I want to take ownership of this house. That's what I love. I love this house. Now, we're borrowing this house <laughs> until we have our own permanent house. But you have to understand that the song of the house, the purpose of God for this house, the melody of this house is the orchestra God's inviting you to. So present your instrument not as a soloist, but as a member of the orchestra that will make this sound so, so big and so amazing that John 17 takes over and people are drawn to it, not because of, you know, the light show or the talent or this or that, but because there's such unity that has led to such community that has invited the sound of heaven, that invites the sound of heaven not just once or twice, but all the time. I want to end with a verse. And for those that are taking communion, if you guys want to come up, or uh, serving communion, sorry. Before I, I read this verse, I want to just, I, I, there's, a, there's a phrase that God has been dropping in my heart the last two days that I believe is for us. I believe it's, it's just for us. Listen to this. Revival loves to find people who are enhancers of the melody. They enhance the melody of the house. One of the things I love about Abigail, I love all my kids, but Abby, I mean, Abby has a joy about her. Abby's life enhances any atmosphere that she runs into. If you have not already received an Abigail hug in your life, you are missing out. If you've not got an Abigail kiss on your cheek, you're missing out. If you've not got an Abigail Zerbert on your cheek, you're very much missing out. But you cannot be around Abigail and not feel like your life is enhanced because of the melody or the song that she sings. She sings a song that is so full of joy that I could have the worst day at work and just have all this stuff on me and pressure and stress and issues and blah, 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 blah all that stuff. And I come home and she lights up my life. I can never be upset around Abigail. I don't think there's a single human being on the planet that can be upset around Abigail because she just bounces and she prances and she's dancing and she's singing and she's so full of joy. Why? Because she's enhancing the melody of the Jeff's home. I love her sound and her sound in our house. And when she sings it in harmony with the other six, it's a beautiful sound. I want you guys to be enhancers of the melody 
of this house. Find your instrument, spiritually speaking. And find your seat at the orchestra. Because we're about ready to play the song from heaven that God has always wanted. That God put in the dreams of Sandra and I 15, 16 years ago. That I saw a song being sung from a a church that was so filled with hope and so filled with love and so filled with a sense of purpose that people would come running, not to just hear the sound of this house, but to hear the sound of a house that's so perfectly in alignment with the sound of heaven. That's what I long for. That's my heart's desire. Matthew 18, 19, it says this. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree, harmonize together, Make a symphony together about whatever, anything and everything that they may ask. It will come to pass and be done for them by my Father who's singing His song in heaven. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 